Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasures and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for the opportunity to preach here this morning and to share with you. And um, thank you also to you as a congregation uh, for the support you give in prayer and finance uh, to those that are involved in partnership with you as missionaries and in the work that they do. And uh, it's, it's very important when you're overseas to know that the church back home is encouraging you, it's praying for you, it, uh, it, it feels for you because we're all part of the one body. As we come to God's word this morning from Ephesians, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you for the privilege that it is to have your word in a language that we can understand. We thank you for those that laboured long and hard so that we could have this word. We thank you for those that gave their lives. Help us now, Lord God, by your spirit, to understand what your word says. For without the work of your spirit, these words do not make an impact on us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mission is hard work. And when I'm thinking of mission, I'm not just thinking about mission overseas. I'm thinking of mission locally as well, whether it be in local schools, whether it be on the local AFES university campus and the AFES mission that takes place there, and, and of course overseas. So when I use the word mission this morning, don't think someone who gets on a boat or a plane and goes to another country. It's happening here as well. Because mission occurs wherever God's people are found. And they're called upon to be faithful where he's placed them. Whether it be here 
in your country of birth or your adopted country or whether it be overseas. So just bear in mind, keep that in mind this morning as we think. And mission in Australia is becoming increasingly hard as those of you who have grey hair like me will know uh, because there was once a day when it was easy to speak about Jesus without opposition in schools and so on and in the public discourse. But today, increasingly, it's being frowned upon. Doors are being closed for us. But then go to a country like South Sudan or go to a country like Nigeria. Uh, mission is hard there. Where churches are bombed where people are discouraged from going to church through civil war and its aftermath and, and so on and so on. It's hard work. And if it's hard work, why do it? Why not offer a much, much easier life? There are many reasons I could give. Let me just take one. Matthew 28. All through the Gospel of Matthew, you've seen Jesus do these miracles, then he's crucified, then he's, he's raised from the dead. He's been raised from the dead. He was once dead. And then he meets with his disciples, the risen Lord Christ, and what does he say? All authority has been given to me. All authority. Not just some authority. And when you read your Bible at Matthew 28, you don't see Jesus say, all authority has been given to me, and then there's an asterisk, and down the bottom you read, terms and conditions apply. No. He says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. That's why we go, because Jesus, who has all authority over this entire earth, who owns everything, he's the one that commands us to go. It wasn't our idea. All authority, you go. That's why we engage in mission. Let me just pick up from Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, three very brief reasons as to why we want to engage in mission from this passage. Um, And the first reason is this, that God has already chosen his people. And Paul teaches this very clearly in verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's already chosen his people. And I find that a stunning fact that his people have already been named by him. Their names already written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is tension we have to hold. But yes, I'm responsible for what I do when, the, when I hear the Christian message. I should respond to it. I must respond to it. And yet at the same time, God has chosen who it is who will eventually respond. And the Bible gives this uh, This teaching, the word election, predestination and so on. God is the one who is at work in our salvation. That doesn't mean I can be complacent. That doesn't mean I can be like some people who say, well, if God has chosen me, I'll just live however I want because he'll get me there in the end. No, it's not to be like that at all. I'm responsible and yet God has done the choosing. When did God do this? Please look in your Bibles at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? That God should choose his people before they even were conscious that they were a human being. That God has chosen his people. And uh, remember uh, Jacob, 
what Paul says in Romans 9. Jacob and Esau, those two twins, wrestling in the womb. And what does Paul say? Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. And throughout the Bible, God has the history of choosing people for himself. Just think of Abraham. By all accounts, probably coming from a family of moon worshippers. And one day God speaks to him and calls him and gives him, gives him those promises. And then the nation of Israel called to be his people. And then throughout the Bible, he calls, he calls, he calls. And then into the New Testament, he calls people like you and me to come and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one who initiates salvation. God is the one who does the choosing. It doesn't belong to chance. Now, some Christians object to the Bible's teaching at this point. They say, yes, I believe that God is sovereign, that God rules over every human heart. And if you ask them politely, but do you believe that God is the one that chooses the people who will belong to himself? And they might say something like, well, look, I believe God is sovereign, but he's not that sovereign. So they're limiting God. They're saying there's an area of human existence over which he doesn't have ultimate power. And as I said, the Bible never takes away human responsibility. And yet God is the one who who initiates salvation. Now think about what all of that means for mission. It means that when we tell somebody about Jesus, whether it's here at home over, over a cup of coffee, whether it's teaching scripture in a school, maybe it's at youth group, or maybe even doing something overseas, it's not up to us to make them believe. We're not salesmen and women. We're not trying to get them to sign on the dotted line because we are conscious that God is at work and if God is at work in that person, his spirit will work that as we share the gospel, as clearly as we can, that people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to go out and, um, and use marketing techniques. It just doesn't work. It's unbiblical. So think of Acts chapter 18. There is Paul, Silas and Timothy. They're facing incredibly uh, stiff opposition. They could easily get up and have a nice holiday on the Greek coast. Nice time of the year probably, you know, some nice blue sea and so on. And that night in Acts 18, we read in verse 9 that uh, the Lord speaks to Paul and says, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And God makes it very clear that he has many people in Corinth who have not yet responded to the message about the Lord Jesus Christ. People that he's chosen. And so notice what Paul does next, we read in verse 11. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching him the word of God. Paul doesn't say to himself, well, God's already chosen his people. It doesn't matter what I do. I think I'll go somewhere else. I'll go for a holiday. God will see to it that they come to faith in Christ. No, he doesn't do that. He stays for a year and a half and teaches. We're being told here that the doctrine of election is actually an incentive to mission, not a disincentive to mission, because we know that there are people who will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons why we keep on going. God wants us to announce the gospel. He could have used a whole legion of angels to do it. 
And yet instead he uses people like you and me. And I find that a staggering and humbling thought and reminds us of the great responsibility that that we have. There are people all around us who are waiting to hear about the Lord Jesus. That was me. I come from a totally non-Christian background. Uh, My parents died when I was young, a Roman Catholic family, Never really heard much about Jesus. I went to a, a, a vacation Bible school at the local Baptist church now and then. But my parents never went to church. Not religious at all. And yet I was conscious throughout my life that God was calling me. I knew that he was there. And then one day when someone explained the gospel to me for the first time when I was 17, it just all clicked. I went home that night and I said, I'd be stupid to say no to this. Woke up the next morning and it was like the lights had been turned on in the entire world. My life was just a little bit different that day from then on. God's the one who's at work. God's the one. Now the problem is we don't know who God has chosen. People don't walk around with you know, t-shirts that say please tell me about Jesus because I've been chosen by God or anything tattooed on their forehead. And that's why we go around explaining the gospel to as many people as possible. Yes, it's hard work, but we do it because God is at work in in what we're doing and otherwise it would be a strong temptation uh, to give up. The second reason from Ephesians 1, the gospel is the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. Uh, Please look at verse 7. Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, friends, it's very easy if you've been a Christian for a while to forget its power. Its power to transform the lives of individuals and families and communities and so on. And and Graham and uh, Chris have reminded us this morning that we live in a broken world We live in a world that needs Jesus, that he is its only hope. And friends, it's the gospel that is the best news in the world. Right now, there are millions of people who are going down to rivers to to wash themselves, try and wash away their sins, people that are starving themselves, people that are putting their bodies through torture and punishment, all the vain hope that somehow, somewhere when they die, they might reach some sort of better life with no hope. But friends... We've got the answer right here in the Bible. We have the words of eternal life. They're not our words. They're the words of the the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What will we do with this life-giving message that's been entrusted to us? What will we do? You know, Christians that stay silent about Jesus, you know, are a bit like cancer researchers that find the cure for cancer and don't bother telling anybody about it. Every Christian is different. Everyone is, is gifted differently. Some of us are going to be natural evangelists, you know, who get in a taxi or a train and before the journey's over, ten people have come to Christ. Um, you meet that sort of people from time to time and I think, well, I'm not one of them. Uh, some of us, well, we might see ourselves as being very, very showy as evangelists, but we might teach scripture in school or be involved in a youth group. Some of us might get up in a more public setting like this. Some of us might be just sharing the gospel with a cup of, over a cup of coffee with a friend. But we do have the responsibility to tell those around us that we belong to Jesus because we know that the message about Jesus is the best news in the world. 
You know, it's very easy to, to think to ourselves, well, you know, I'm fine. I don't care what happens to my neighbours and my friends. I've got some Christian friends like that. But friends, we have this great privilege to proclaim the gospel because it is the best news in the world. You won't see that when you turn the evening news on, but it's the best news in the world. It's the news that trumps every other bit of news. Uh, Recently I was driving past an Optus van and it had on there unlimited reach. And I thought, no, you know nothing. Our God has unlimited reach, not Optus. You know, and we want this message to go throughout the world. And that's why God says, take it throughout the world. Take it to the ends of the earth so that people everywhere will hear about the Lord Jesus. In the days before satellites and um, GPSs and so on, you had these things called lighthouses. Some of you might have seen them. They were used on a coastline and they would shine out. They would tell the captain of a ship there's rocks here or this is a navigation point or watch out and so on. And that's what a church is to be. A church is to be a lighthouse. It's to shine out into the community and say, there is hope in Jesus. You don't have to go up, go through life with the, the struggles that you do unassisted. And sometimes life is a struggle, isn't it? And again, I've been really encouraged this morning, Chris, to see the sort of songs we've sung that say, yes, there are shadows. There are hard times. It's not all joy, joy, joy. You know, because we do struggle. What do we do if we come to church on a Sunday and all we do is we sing joy, joy, joy and yet someone's just died or they're struggling with depression or we've got a medical problem? We're meant to be a lighthouse to say to people, come and join us as we follow Jesus. Yes, we struggle, we have problems but we want you to know the best news in the world. We want you to have a living hope. A hope that is not solved by government dollars. And a hope that is permanent, a hope that endures, a hope that comes from the life-giving gospel. But be warned. Satan doesn't want that hope to go out. If you've got your Bibles open, just flip over please to chapter 6 and verse 11 in Ephesians. Because Paul writes this, verse 11, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yes, mission is hard work. And when, when Jesus appeared to, to the Apostle Paul, um, Paul is facing those incredible uh, times of opposition. And yet, Jesus does not say to Paul, I'm going to take away the opposition. You came to have an easy life from now on. Now, for his purposes, the Lord lets those that, that opposition remain there. For his purposes. And so sometimes people think it's easy. It's not. The Lord knows that things are happening. He knows that there's opposition uh, to the work of the gospel. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you encounter apathy even from fellow Christians. Uh, when I went through Bible college, it was really interesting to see the number of people who came from Christian family backgrounds whose parents had said, oh look, don't give up your career as a teacher or a lawyer or whatever to go and be a pastor. Don't do that. They were facing opposition from their, within their own family not to get involved in telling people about Jesus. Don't be surprised when someone says, oh I wouldn't want to go to season service as a missionary because 
Well, the need is so great in Australia. Well, friends, the needs in Australia are great. But overseas, sometimes people like the most basic of training. I was in South Sudan last year and uh, I ran a seminar with some pastors. So I did a quick two-hour overview, overview of the Bible and the other presenters were doing similar things. And at the end of the seminar, one of the pastors got up and said, we've had lots of seminars on leadership, but none on the Bible. Please come back. That's a challenge. That's the sort of invitation you, you long to hear and yet it's sad that they have had such little Bible teaching in a, a context like that. Okay, and the final reason for uh, being involved in mission from the passage is that God has revealed the future to the church. When Jesus rose, he was triumphant over his enemies and one day he will return. It will be a day of, of great joy and we know what the future holds because he's told us. Please look at verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times that have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You know, the future might be a mystery to Tony Abbott and Joe Hockey and Bill Shorten, but it's not a mystery to us. We know the day is coming when all, of, all things are going to be summed up in Christ That's where history is heading, towards that great and final day. And because this has been revealed to us, it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Yes, you might be like me. There are times when I look at this world and I look at its brokenness and I think, God, how can you repair this? How can you bring something beautiful out of this? But he says, I will. And Christ is the the example, he's the down payment, he's the foretaste of the time when I'll bring all things together under his authority, under his rule. It will be triumphant. It, it, It won't fail. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 16? I might build my church now. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And again, there's no asterisk there. There's no errors and omissions. I will build my church the, the media loves to pump out the lie that says that the church is a, a relic, a dinosaur, uh, something left over from bygone age, that, you know, that we should take this building here this morning and sell it as a restaurant or some sort of museum and so on. But that's not how, not how God sees the church. It's, the church is not irrelevant. It's a lighthouse. It has the message of eternal life. It's a rescue centre. Will we call people to come and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is a preview of where God is taking history. Because one day, around God's throne, we're told in Revelation 7 9, there'll be people there from every tribe and language and tongue. And it'll be the very first time in all of history that the church has been together. The very first time when we will be assembled with our brothers and sisters across the lands and across the ages together, worshipping God and giving him praise. And as we gather each Sunday morning, it's a foretaste of that great day when we will have a joy that is inexpressible. It's almost as if the future has invaded the present. Friends, that's why we want to be involved in mission, because we know where history is heading. We know that God will be praised and God will be worshipped. We know that God will have the victory. 
And that's where we get a glimpse of the future. So, how is that going to shape us as a congregation? I hope it shapes our prayer life. Because in lots of churches today, it's very easy to let mission, local and overseas, just slip right down the agenda. So that people think, well, we'll get around to it one day when we've got better finances or more time or so on. You'll never get around to it if if that's our attitude. In my experience as a parish minister, it's been that I've had to work hard in a congregation to keep mission at the top of the agenda because I think somehow mission has got lead weight in its bottom and it keeps being pulled down towards the bottom and we become more interested in our own particular uh, needs. I mean, there are some churches where they have a pastor and they say, Pastor, we want you to be our chaplain. We don't want you to worry about people out there that don't know Jesus. Just take care of us. You know, just baptise and marry and bury us. And we'll have you as our own personal chaplain. But that's not how Jesus sees the role of a pastor or the role of a church. We're meant to be a lighthouse. We're meant to be praying. We're meant to be conscious of the fact that we have a mission, a commission from the Lord Jesus Christ to tell others about Jesus. Let me close the two very brief stories. I had um, coffee recently with a friend who's a missionary in Nigeria, Peter Burke. Peter goes to church on Sunday mornings and uh, he's sitting there in the city of Jos and sometimes they hear an explosion and they know it's another church that's been bombed. Uh, when Peter goes to church on Sunday morning, he says, you drive your car to a certain point, they go through your car, they examine it underneath and throughout, looking for bombs. You can then drive it another 100 metres to a point where you must park it. Then you must walk through a concrete, uh, sorry, through a ditch, then through a concrete barrier, and then through three gates to get to church. And when you get there, your bag is searched. You can't take any large bags in. He says, we've lost about 20% of the congregation. But he said, one of the reasons I want to keep on going is because of the other 80%. They're determined to be a witness. They're determined to tell the people of Jos that Jesus is Lord and that bombs will not stop us. And then three years ago, about this time of the year, not, not many months ago, in Japan, a terrible tsunami that wiped out all of those people. What you didn't see on the evening news was this, that as people were fleeing south from the reactor on the effects of the tsunami, Christians were going north. And so Dan Iverson, who's the team leader of the church planning work that goes on over there, he's, he's an American, um, he and Japanese churches and pastors, they organised food and water and they took it up north. And people were a bit confused. They said, hang on, we're running away from the reactor and you're going towards it. What are you doing? And they said, we do it because of Jesus. We want people to know about Jesus. And, and Dan went out talking to people as they were receiving food and, have you heard about Jesus? And talking to them and having some really good conversations. One Japanese pastor, when he was going north, people said to him, but don't you care about your survival? He said, no, we care about revival. We want people to know about Jesus. Even in conditions like that. So friends, why do we engage in mission? We do it because God has chosen his people. We do it because we have the best news in the world. We do it because we know what the future looks like. God has graciously shown us the future. And we know that one day all things will be gathered together in Christ.
So let's pray and let's work for that great day. Let's join together in prayer now. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are the God who holds all things in his hands. We thank you and praise you for the the mercy and the brilliance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the way in which you've joined us to him, for the way in which you've called us to him. And we do pray, Lord God, that as we go out from here, as we tell family and friends about the Lord Jesus, we pray you would have mercy on them as you have had towards us. We pray for family members, Lord God, whose hearts are hard, that you might open them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the community leaders here in Victoria, that, Father, you would turn them to Christ. And we pray for the church, that you would, you would enable it to remain faithful in the midst of some very stiff opposition, that people might know that your church and the church here is a lighthouse shining forth with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his strong and precious name. Amen.